and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, June the 2nd, uh, late afternoon, California. It's what I call on the keen on show Australia time, because that's about the only place in the world that's still awake um, and not doing other things. Uh, as it happens, yesterday, uh, I did an interview with a writer called Alex Rivchin, uh, who has a new book out, The Seven Deadly Myths uh, on Antisemitism from the Time of Christ to Kanye West, an interesting book, um, just out. Uh, and today we have uh, another Australian writing also about Israel and the Jews, um, Anthony Lowenstein. It was interesting. I mentioned, Anthony, to Alex uh, that I would be interviewing you, and this was his response. Alex, uh, you've authored a number of other books. You wrote a book about uh, Zionism, A Concise History. Uh, and you also have the anti-Israel agenda. Uh, I have a show coming up tomorrow to sort of balance this sort of thing with Anthony Lowenstein, well, another Australian uh, who has a book yeah. out, The Palestine Laboratory, How Israel yeah. Exports the Technology of Occupation Around the World. I don't suppose you and he are going out to dinner very often in Australia, but... Um, no, it'd be hard to hold a meal down in his company. Yeah, and he'd probably say the same about you, but... Would you say the same about him, Anthony? There be uh, a love lost between you and uh, Rivchin. I don't think I've actually ever met him face to face, as far as I know. But look, yeah, the feeling I guess is mutual. I mean, I see people like him. His job is basically to be a propagandist for the Israeli state. He gets paid very well for it, not by Israel, but by the Israel lobby here in Australia. That's his job. He defends the indefensible. He defends the occupation. He doesn't say there isn't even is an occupation. As far as he's concerned, what Israel is doing is wonderful and great and democratic. So, and public opinion is increasingly against where he stands. So I view what not just he particularly, but where organisations like his represent as very much on the fringes of society because that's where they belong. Just like. Back in the day, I would say he'd be the equivalent would be apart advocates for apartheid South Africa in 1985. That's exactly the comparison I would make. Wow. So yes, wouldn't I say mean, we're to the be best fair to Alex. He's not around. Maybe we'll get the two of you on the show and you can hash it out over a meal. Um, Alex, you're uh, not Alex. That was a Freudian era. Anthony, you're. Um, you yourself are also a controversial figure. You've written about being Jewish and. Being critical of Israel has turned you into an outcast. Uh, you're also uh, the author of a book, uh, My Israel Question, about your Jewish identity and your critique of Israel. How, and, and I talked to Alex about this. Uh, I, I personally, I, I think it's, I, I can't comment on Alex. I, I don't believe he's simply saying what he does because he's being paid well for it. That's almost like a, a, a trope of anti-Semitism. But um, I think he believes they, it. I think he believes well, it. Yeah, but, Maybe. How, but leaving that aside, um, this issue of 
writing about Israel as a Jew and being accused of anti-Semitism, how do you get around that? I talked to Alex about it too. I said to him, you know, can you be critical of Israel uh, without being anti-Semitic? And I think he acknowledged that you can. What's your take on this? Well, the answer has to be yes. I mean, can you be critical of Israel and against Israel and being anti-Semite? Of course you can. If you demonize all Jews, then you're anti-Semitic. There's no question about that. And there are a lot of people in the world. In fact, anti-Semitism, I view, is in fact a growing problem in many places around the world, the US, parts of Europe, Russia. Anti-Semitism is a reality. It has been for millennia and it's getting worse. However, the issue of Israel-Palestine, I think, is a slightly different one because I grew up in a liberal Jewish home in Melbourne in Australia. My parents were liberal. They weren't radical or conservative. They were fairly liberal on many issues, including Israel. But it was expected that you support Israel, defend Israel. Most of my family were killed in the Holocaust, which was a sadly typical Jewish story. The ones who got out in 39 came to Australia and Canada and elsewhere. And for many of those Jews in the 20th century, after the Holocaust, Israel was seen as a refuge that God forbid something happens to the Jews again. Like as an individual, I could go to Israel tomorrow and within two or three months, I would have an Israeli passport. I'd be a citizen. And people might even hear that you when they you think that's <laughs> even, yes, well, probably, probably, maybe. I mean, I lived there for a number of years in Palestine, but anyway, in theory, I could be a citizen. And but I think what has happened, and I would say this happened since Israel's birth in 1948, but particularly in the last 50 odd years since the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem. There has been a cancer within the Israeli body politic, which started off as a tiny minority. The settler movement, the radicals who believed that all of occupied territory was Jewish land, the Bible said it was, we as Jews have the right to settle it. And what's happened in the last half a century is you have now a very powerful global Jewish diaspora, the Israel lobby in Australia, the US and elsewhere, that sees its role as defending that occupation. And I think that many, not just Jewish people, but people in general, are turning against Israel and its behaviour because of the extremism. When you have in the Israeli government today far-right fascists who advocate ethnic cleansing. That's not what I'm saying they're saying. They actually are saying that. And that view is not just a fringe minority. In fact, recent studies suggest that close to half Israeli Jews advocate ethnic cleansing. Half. Now, people can Google that. It's not me making it up. It was taken a few years ago, that poll. It's probably got worse since. Well, I mean, let's also clarify what ethnic what you mean by ethnic cleansing. It doesn't mean killing Palestinians. It, it means might mean forcibly removing them. Right. Which is a war crime. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, they I'm were born in Palestine. That, but we, we need to be clear about what you're saying here. Yeah, the, the forcible removal of Palestinians from their territory is ethnic cleansing. Now, it could be done violently or, I guess, more peacefully. That's true. Yeah, I'm not excusing the ethnic yes. cleansing, but we need to be clear about what sure. you mean by it. And I guess for me, as a secular anti-Zionist Jew, what I think is happening within the Jewish community in the US and Australia and the UK and elsewhere, there is a civil war going on, which I wholeheartedly support and back and advocate. What I mean by that is I don't mean a violent civil war. 
I mean, a civil war amongst the Jewish community, which is playing out more widely, which basically says there are growing numbers of particularly young Jews who are turning against Israel, critical of the occupation, totally opposed to the, the apartheid that Israel's practicing there. And the public opinion polls reflect, reflect that. A few years ago, there was a poll in the US which found a quarter, a quarter of American Jews thought Israel was an apartheid state. A quarter thought it was practicing ethnic cleansing. That's Jews who thought that, mostly young Jews. Now, of course, there are many Jews who definitely do not think that. But that civil war is going on, and it's a healthy civil war, because for so long, what Israel has been doing in Palestine, this brutal daily occupation, I've seen that with my own eyes. I've reported on it from Gaza, from the West Bank. There is an extremism, as I said before, that started off as a tiny fringe within Israel the radical religious minority that wanted to settle all the land and kick Palestinians out. That is still arguably a minority of Israeli Jews, but it's an ideology that has essentially taken over Israel. Yeah, so Anthony, you- I, I want to get to the Palestinian lab, uh, the Palestine lab and, and the specific arguments you make there. I'm curious as to your take, you've, you've identified what you call this civil war within the Jewish community between Critics of Israel, not necessarily. I mean, I think you can be a critic of Israel without being an anti-Zionist. True. Supporters, uh, unabashed, unambiguous supporters of of everything that Netanyahu does. What do you make, though, in the United States of the fact that some of the most aggressive supporters of Israel are evangelical Christians? Indeed. Well, it obviously concerns me. And in fact, growing numbers of supporters of Israel have almost given up on liberal Jews because they regard liberal Jews as being too critical and they see those groups being replaced by evangelicals. Um, what do I think of it? I well, think how it's... would you explain it? What, what are these people eating or drinking or smoking? Well, they're smoking something pretty good. Uh, I'd love to have some. No, I think they, they obviously believe in the end times and they believe that Israel is a solely Jewish state until, of course, the second coming of Christ and all Jews and people who don't believe in their ideology will be killed. I mean, that's, that is, that's essentially the ideology. The most prominent person who pushes that, I guess, has been Mike Pence in the last year's former vice president, likely to be the next, um, you know, know, going to be a candidate for 2024. I mean, that's the ideology that he subscribes to and many others. Yeah, it's interesting. We did a show on uh, assholes. Someone wrote a book about it and they claimed that Mike Pence was an asshole. I actually defended him, but actually given what you just said, maybe I shouldn't have. So let's get to the Palestinian, the 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 Palestine uh, laboratory, a very controversial thesis, how Israel exports the technology of occupation around the world. What's your argument, Anthony? Israel's been occupying Palestinian territory illegally since 1967, so it's 56 years and counting. And in those years, it's one of the longest occupations in modern times, and in those years, the tools and technologies that Israel has used to maintain that occupation, to control what they regard as an enemy population, is varied intelligence tools in the modern age, spyware, um, so-called smart walls, drones, a range of tools and technologies, which often are then tested on Palestinians first and then exported around the world. So in other words, a lot of conflicts are very geographically based in that place. So years ago, I was based in, for example, South Sudan in 2015. The conflict there is horrific in Africa, horrible, brutal, terrible. 
but is geographically based there, hasn't really seeped out of those borders or those people, refugees often come in and out. The occupation of Palestine, in fact, has become exportable, globalised. And what I mean by that is that you have now roughly at least 130 countries around the world, dictatorships and democracies, that have bought a form of Israeli so-called defence equipment. That could be anything from a drone to spyware to go after their own dissidents or human rights activists or journalists, whatever it may be. And as I go through in the book, this has pretty much been working with the rogues gallery of the worst dictatorships in the last 50 years. I'm talking about Chile with Pinochet. I'm talking about apartheid South Africa. I'm talking about literally genocidal regimes in Latin and South America. Now, America has also been there with those regimes most of the time. So, so, and I'm sure you've had this criticism before, Anthony. Um, And you're also on the left, you're a critic of what you call disaster capitalism. Um, So you're familiar with the the moral questions around Mm. capitalism. But the thing that occurs to me, and I'm sure you've had this criticism before, is an Israeli private company, one of the companies that you deal with in your book is Celebrite, Mm. um, who claim on their website to be strengthening your path to justice, a surveillance company, which you may be right, but they're not official companies of the Israeli state. So by somehow equating Israeli private tech companies with official Israel policy, aren't you falling into one particular trap of of the anti-Semites? No, because many, if not most, as I talk about extensively in the book, of Israeli so-called private companies are only private in name. The most infamous, you say Celebrite, and we can talk about them in a minute, but NSO Group is the most infamous spyware company in the last 15 years. It produces this product called Pegasus, which is basically a a hacking tool that people can um, put onto your phone and then all your contents are essentially taken out and sucked up. And the reason these companies are only private in name is they are an arm of the state. In the last 15 years, and I show this extensively in the book, Netanyahu and the Mossad go to countries they want to be friends with, Rwanda, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and many, many others. And they offer tools like that as a diplomatic carrot. You want to be friends with us? We'd love to be friends with you. We will sell you this technology if you, for example, vote with us in a certain way. This is how real politic works. And in country after country after country, as I show in the book, and others have reported this too, particularly Haaretz, the Israeli great newspaper, these tools then end up in the hands of brutal regimes that want to repress their own people. So, for example, listeners or viewers will be aware in the last years of the Abraham Accords, these, this deal that was struck by Trump. By his Israel, son-in-law. Jewish son-in-law. Jewish son-in-law, Jared Kushner. What an amazing guy he is. They yeah. made a deal with UAE, Bahrain and others. And it was sort of celebrated as this great bringing together of the Arab and Jewish world. It was nonsense. It was an arms deal. It's an arms deal. All these nations were desperate, were desperate, are desperate for Israeli surveillance technology. It's not even a secret. That's that's what these deals are. I take your point, Anthony. But what happens if Biden goes overseas and promotes Google or Facebook or or absolutely? Would would that that, would would that be the same equivalent? Isn't it the business even of a I, I'm certainly no great fan of Benjamin Netanyahu, but isn't it his business when he goes overseas to promote 
private Israeli companies that benefit. But they're not private, companies. Andrew. That's what I'm saying. They're private in name only. And yes, if we talk about when, when Biden you say goes in overseas, name only, what does that mean? You mean that that they're actually owned by the state? They're basically operating routinely as an arm of the state. They are doing their work and their bidding at the instruction of the state. There is a very mutually beneficial relationship there. So yes, they're a private company. They have a board, although they're in bad financial shape at the moment. And many other companies like that. Celebrite's another one. You mentioned Celebrite. Is that a private company? Yes. However, they have sold their tools and technologies. They also, just so viewers are aware, Celebrite, the most infamous tool is like a, it's a phone hacking tool. So if you have a, an iPhone that the police want to access without a passcode, it's close to impossible to getting into it. Celebrite has a tool that allows the police or law enforcement to hack that phone basically. And they've been selling those tools for years to democracies, yes, including Australia, where I live, but also the worst brutal regimes in the world, Russia, China, Belarus. They are routinely operating as an arm of the state. So, yes, they're a private company. They have profits. But what, wait, have a hold on. So, but why, if, if indeed Cellulite, Cellulite, whatever they're called, Celebrite, Celebrite, yeah. if they're selling to Belarus, why are they acting as the arm of the state? Because it's a way for Israel to make friends. It's exactly the same, Andrew, with U.S. defense companies. Do you think Lockheed Martin is a solely private company? It's an arm of the American state. That's how defense companies work. That's how the arms industry works. So U.S. does this as well. I'm not saying it's solely Israel. Of course it's not. It's not solely Israel, but Lockheed so the Martin... The stuff that Peter a- Thiel is doing, and, and he gets investment, of course, from the CIA. So you, you're, you're interpreting what you call disaster capitalism, as any company is an arm of the state, any company that somehow, I mean, what about companies that do good? Are they also the arms of the state? Well, what about the company? Well, hold on. What about, and there are many progressive companies with progressive technologies in Israel, companies associated with wind uh, and other technologies, uh, water salination and all the rest of it. Are they also the arms of the state? Often, yes. Absolutely. But that's not unique to Israel. That happens in the US as well. Of course, it's not just evil, awful companies but, 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 doing but terrible things. Of your bit, but you're, with a title like the Palestine Laboratory, you're presenting mm. this as if it's a massive conspiracy of the Israeli state. They've organized oh, no. this. No, no, I didn't say it's a conspiracy. The book is like got 50 pages of endnotes and footnotes, most of a lot of which comes from Israeli um, media itself and my own research. It's not a conspiracy theory. I could have written a book as others have about the US arms industry and it would say exactly the same thing in the US context. American defense companies are arms of the state. That's how it works. That's how they work. That's how they operate. They're, it's an interrelation. You know, it, they have a relationship between each other. So the US undeniably with the Biden, Trump, Obama, whoever it may be, is regularly promoting those defense companies in a range of places, democracies and dictatorships. When Biden goes to Saudi Arabia and Saudi wants weapons, which weapons do you think they're buying? Lockheed Martin. So yes, Lockheed Martin's a private company with a board and profits and all that, but it's essentially an arm of the state. That's how it works. The defense companies are routinely arms of the state. It works like that in Israel, it works like that in France, 
the US and elsewhere. Now, I, I think some that... countries, but, 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 but making this blanket statement, France is very different from the United States or perhaps even Israel. I mean, They're I still one of the biggest arms dealers in the world, Andrew. Right. I'm saying that the French, that uh, I, I buy your thesis on France, I'm not convinced on the US. I mean, there's some truth here, obviously, but the idea of them being what you call tools of the state, I mean, you could argue the reverse, that the state are tools of these private companies. Well, that's, look, my disaster capitalism book and film I did in some ways was arguing that these companies often are more powerful than the state. And I think there's something to be said for that. And my book, The Palestine Laboratory, does argue that in some ways as well. It's not black and white. It's not a binary argument. But The Palestine Laboratory is not a conspiracy theory. It's literally... Dozens and dozens and dozens of not just Israeli government officials, Israeli companies for decades, openly promoting their work in Palestine as a selling point. They're saying it themselves. You should hire us. You should take our counterinsurgency tools and technologies. You should buy our defense equipment. They're saying it themselves because of what they've done in the West Bank. You can copy what we're doing. There's a reason, for example, the U.S. on the Mexico-U.S. border has Israeli surveillance towers, a key part of the U.S. so-called immigration system on the U.S.-Mexico border is Israeli surveillance towers made by Elbert. Now, do you think the U.S. bought that for no reason? Why do you think they bought that? They said it themselves because those tools and technologies were tested in Palestine on Palestinians. They say it themselves. How critical are you in the book, Anthony, of... The Israeli, the young, often international Israeli entrepreneurs uh, founding and managing these companies, aren't they the ones who are ultimately responsible for this rather than the Israeli state? That well, has both are very critical. I mean, I have a big section in there about the so-called startup nation, which in the last 20 years or so has been a real selling point for Israel, essentially talking about individuals, men and women who have gone through the Israeli military, which is the majority of Israeli Jews, they come out of the military, they develop not just weapons, they're also, as you say, often developing other things, but I'm focusing on the weapons industry, the spyware industry. And it's like a funnel. They're encouraged to develop these tools and technologies. I'm deeply critical of it because when they promote the so-called startup nation, they being the companies or the Israeli state or media in America or elsewhere, they promote this so-called startup nation they depoliticize it. Where do you think this startup nation ideology comes from? Who do you think these people are who are building all these tools of repression? Now, now, again, there's an element of conspiracy. Are you suggesting that the startup nation was invented to justify No, this? I'm saying it was used as a very effective propaganda tool by the Israeli state. I mean, they say it themselves, Andrew. You sort of make it sound like I'm making this stuff up. They say it in their own No, I, I'm not saying you're making it up, but... Uh, a lot of people believe in the idea the, in, a, in, a, in a positive sense of startup nation full of innovation. Yes, and because, they, because they've heard the propaganda in the last 20 years and they're depoliticizing where it comes from. It comes from a place that says that what we as Israel are doing in the West Bank and Gaza or East Jerusalem for decades and decades, brutally occupying other people, can be a selling point for tools that you as a nation might want in your own how much, uh, in your view, you've obviously looked very carefully at the Israeli tech sector. How much of the sector, in your view, is export uh, in the business of exporting the technology of occupation? 
Is it 50%, 70%, 20%? That's an interesting question. I haven't got an exact number of how much of the technology that Israel exports is just defence because defence is also a a loose word. I mean, defence can be also done. I mean, for example, since the Russian invasion of Ukraine the last year and a half, a lot of European countries have been begging Israel for what they would call defence equipment, protecting them from what they fear might be a Russian invasion or Russian incursion. Now, Israel would claim that's a defence equipment. It's not an offensive equipment. I would argue, for example, what Israel uses over and around Gaza, a so-called missile defence shield, actually is an offensive weapon. The weapon itself is not killing anybody, of course. It's stopping missiles coming from Gaza. But the impact of that is that it gives Israel confidence year after year after year to keep fighting, in my view, these insane and futile wars. A lot of European countries want that technology. In fact, Ukraine has been begging for years and has not got it yet. Israeli spyware. They're desperate for Israeli spyware and Israel will not sell it to them because Israel wants to maintain good relations with Russia. Now, you can say, and some viewers might say, all this is conspiratorial. I could have written a very similar book about these issues in the US. Other people have written this book about how Iraq and Afghanistan post 9-11 for the US defense sector and the US government was a key battleground and laboratory for weapons. The current war in Ukraine is a battleground for the testing of new weapons. That's what these wars often are. The difference is in Palestine, it's an endless, ongoing, never-ending war and occupation that gives Israel ready-made occupied Palestinians in their backyard to test weapons. Now, people might find that uncomfortable to hear that, but the book is layered with hundreds and hundreds of examples, sources. So uh, would would Palantir be Teal's, one of his startups, Palantir be the US model that's the equivalent in Israel? It's part of it. I I mentioned Palantir in passing. Is uh, is Palantir connected with israel by the way does it have israeli offices or connections i don't know if it has an israeli office it certainly i think has a presence there whether it's an office i'm not entirely sure um but yes i mean palantir going back to your point before i do see parts of palantir as an arm of the american state absolutely it is of course it is so so is so is amazon by the way so is google and apple they're not necessarily defense companies per se but there are companies let's take google for example yeah my wife happens to work for Google, but I've been very critical of it in the past. I mean, Google, the, the execs made, the founders made a decision on China. So companies are capable of moral decisions. Are there companies in Israel, tech companies that are saying, no, we're not allowing our technology to be used as the technology of occupation? Well, there's very few because, see, very, very few. I'm not saying every single Israeli company is an offensive Uh, weapons company of course they're not obviously that's not true but there is such a highly militarized society within israel for a range of reasons and so so many of these companies that are being founded with the encouragement of the israeli state they're encouraged to do so particularly in the last 20 years particularly since 9 11 are part of this system they are coming from the military these individuals men and women who have spent their early years, their 20s and maybe 30s, maintaining the occupation. 
I'm not talking about soldiers walking. And a lot of the criticism, especially recently, of Netanyahu, especially the Supreme Court stuff, has come out of the military. How much concern is there within the Israeli military itself of this? About the about the laboratory yeah. or about the yeah, occupation? About your, uh, you know, let's let's put those well, words little. around it around your thesis of the Palestine. I'd say there's barely any. No, no. I think, look, so much of the coverage, I don't talk about that much in the book, but I have elsewhere. Look, the vast, vast bulk of the Israeli Jewish protest movements in the last six months has been missing the entire point of what's going on here. They're against what Netanyahu is trying to do in the Supreme Court. They're against the government's far-right agenda. Wonderful. There's a reason, Andrew, why there are barely any Palestinians protesting. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there are basically no Palestinians protesting? Why? Because it's not a it's not a protest movement for them. It's basically these majority of Israeli Jewish protesters want to maintain a Jewish democracy. It doesn't. There is no such thing as a Jewish democracy. By the way, there's no such thing as a Muslim democracy either, or a Christian democracy, or a Hindu democracy. It doesn't exist by so definition. Let's, let, let's get to. I wouldn't say more cheerful. Uh, elements, but you also wrote after Zionism, one state for Israel and Palestine. How, if if your thesis is correct, and certainly clearly there's some truth to it. What 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 do we need to do? What is what is the solution for all this? Well, I guess the first step would be recognizing and acknowledging that the to- so-called two-state solution, which is something we hear about still all the time, we've heard about it for twenty plus years, is a myth. It doesn't exist. It won't exist. There's no interest on the Israeli side to make it happen. You can't have a a separate Israel and Palestinian state when you've now got 750,000 Israeli Jewish settlers in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. It ain't going to happen. It's over. It's dead. There is a growing awareness, I think, within parts of the international community that this is the case. There's still people often regard the two-state solution as almost like a zombie you can't kill. The US and the EU and others refuse to accept this. At some point, they'll wake up. I think there's well, a. It's not a question of waking up. It's a convenient. Of life. course, it's Otherwise a distraction because I don't want to do anything. The reality of the situation. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the only way this is going to resolve itself, it being the conflict, is international pressure. You know, apartheid South Africa didn't end in 1994 because white South Africans woke up one day and went, gee, this is pretty awful. No, it only ended because of a handful of white South Africans, the majority of black South Africans, and an international community that said, you guys have a choice here. You either basically reform towards an actual democracy for all your citizens, or you remain a pariah state. I could imagine, though, Anthony, given the thesis of your book, um, one state for Israel and Palestine after Zionism, if this actually happened, it would actually make the Palestine your thesis of the Palestine laboratory even stronger because you'd have uh, Palestinians in Israel who would be successfully exporting this technology all over the Middle East to the entire Muslim world. So but there'd be no occupation, Andrew. So you I mean, mean the technology would, would be moot, but they would, not, there would still be a demand for this technology. For sure. Surveillance. I, I mean, Americans have pioneered surveillance technology. There's no formal occupation here. Absolutely. Well, yes, but they are testing a lot of that. They had tested a lot of that in the last 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan and on their own people within US borders. But yes, of course, I'm not saying 
By the way, anyone who advocates a one-state solution, which growing numbers of people do, I don't think it's going to be utopia. No one says, I mean, South Africa today is not a utopia. It's full of huge problems. And there is still economic apartheid. For sure. I'm not saying it's utopia. For sure. So you you mentioned, um, uh, Anthony, that some of your family were killed in the Holocaust. Is there a particular resonance to this because of, the history of the Jews, the fact that now there's all this Israeli technology around the world, obviously in Palestine, elsewhere, uh, on the American border, being used to watch and persecute minorities of one kind or another? Well, for me, it is. Obviously, I can't speak for others. But for me, I don't think about this always consciously, but I know subconsciously it's a huge factor that the idea that the legacy of the Jewish people in the 21st century and, frankly, the second half of the 20th century is to, yes, develop and build a Jewish state on the back of Palestinian people who ethnically cleansed in 1948, but even worse, even worse than that, is partnering, working, assisting with some of the most brutal regimes in the world, including, I might add, Andrew, many that were openly anti-Semitic, openly anti-Semitic. In Latin and South America in the 70s and 80s and 60s, nations that were literally holding and housing Nazis and had no issue with Israel working with those states. Now, what to you do you think a, a rational, liberal, humane Jew would say is that that's our legacy? The legacy of the Jewish people is to what? Work with repressive regimes just so there can be a Jewish state? Really? Is that the legacy? I don't think that's a good legacy, and that's why growing numbers of Jews around the world, and I might add citizens, this year, for the first time ever, a Pew poll found that the majority of Democratic voters were much more sympathetic to Palestinians and Israelis. There's a reason for that. Now, it doesn't you don't see that reflected much in Biden's policies, to be sure, but there's a reason public opinion in some places is shifting. We've had, uh, I take your point, Anthony, we've had many defenders of not just Alex Rivkin, many Zionists of one kind or another on the show. And uh, I don't want to put words into their mouth, but we can speak generically. Their response, I think, to some of this would say, well, the Palestinian people have had every opportunity. I don't even acknowledge the reality of there being a Palestinian people. But they would argue that these people have had every opportunity to make peace, to do deals with the Israelis, and they've chosen not to on every occasion. And they're dedicated to eliminating Israel as a state. They would talk about Iran. You've heard all these arguments. How would you respond to that? And that there is indeed a need. Some of them might even say, and I can speak broadly on their behalf since they're not here, that there is a need for the technology of surveillance because if it didn't exist, then you'd have massive civil war in Israel, the murder of Jewish citizens and so on and so forth. How would you respond to that? To all that? Well, there's a few ways. One, I would say that those people, and believe me, I hear them all the time, will be saying the same thing in 50 years. So in 50 years, it'll be 100 years of an apartheid state. So good luck making that argument in 2050, 2060, 2070. It's not going to happen. It's not going to fly. It just does not fly. But isn't there any truth to it? I mean, there is... And I use this word carefully. Uh, There is a great deal of communal violence between the Arab people of Palestine, Israel, and the Jewish people of Palestine, Israel. 
there's decades and decades of mistrust and hatred in certain parts. Undeniably, that's true. Undeniably. And as I said, someone like me who calls for a one-state solution doesn't think you suddenly flick a switch and it's utopia. Of course, it's not utopia. But the idea that what's happening now, now being indefinite occupation and apartheid, is somehow okay because Israel supporters claim, in my view mistakenly, that they've offered everything to the Palestinians and they've always said no. By the way, I don't support Palestinian leadership. Most Palestinians don't. I spent time in Gaza. Hamas are a bunch of thugs. The Palestinian Authority, backed, I might add, by the West, are a bunch of thugs. I don't support them. Most friends of mine don't support any of those organisations. They've been a disaster for the Palestinian people in the past and now. Is there any, and and, and some of these Rifchin-like characters would probably say, well, who are we going to talk to then? We have there no are huge talk. numbers of Palestinians that, that Israel could speak to, many of whom are in jail. There is, there is a leadership there. I mean, look, this argument that says, that has been made for years, where's the Palestinian Mandela? I mean, apart from the deep racism of that comment, <laughs> sorry, where's the, if, one, if one is going to go down that, in my view, misguided path, where's the Israeli Mandela? I mean, the facts on the ground speak for themselves. You now have in the last two years, every single human rights major organization in the world, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, every Palestinian and Israeli human rights organization, they're all saying it's apartheid, what's happening. So they're either all lying, misguided, anti-Semites, every single one of them, many of whom, by the way, are Jewish, the Israeli ones, they're all misguided. And we could just keep going like this for the next 50 years. Well, sure, you could, but then Israel is going to become, at some point, there will be a tipping point. There always is. There always is. There'll come a tipping point. And by the way, that is going to start happening more and more. The civil war we discussed before in the Jewish community is going to start having political ramifications. Not tomorrow, not next week. It will. And already you see in the US Congress, only about 10 or so, 10 members of Congress, roughly, who are calling for, for example, changes to US funding of Israel, curtailing military aid, that will only grow. Sure, if Trump gets in next year or Republican, the Republicans are mad on Israel and uncritical, to be sure. But that civil war won't change. In fact, Trump, you know, helped that Jewish civil war. He assisted it. The more extreme Israel becomes, it actually leads to two outcomes. One, growing numbers of liberal Jews turning away or being critical or speaking out, or it leads to the hardliners digging their heels in. And I would uh, suggest, finally, Anthony, the third thing is ultimately the spilling of Jewish blood. That ultimately, this this will end. I mean, it's already or Palestinian blood. Well, obviously, Palestine, that's already given, but Jewish well, it's not blood a given. Too. That needs to be said, doesn't it? I mean, well, it's, it's not just Jewish blood. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean it in that. I don't mean, but I'm talking about the whole thing coming back to haunt. Um. The Jewish, uh, uh, you know, f- finally, finally, uh, uh, you're obviously not in Rivchin's Rif- camp, and you're not going to be having dinner with him in the. In he's the never called future. me for that for that lovely right. date. Well, so he may be. I that. think he's in Melbourne, and you're in Sydney. So <laughs> That's a real shame. You can meet yeah. halfway between. You can build your own wall, uh, or you get over the wall. But in all seriousness, um, for people who are concerned with anti-Semitism, and it does exist. Although I think Rivkin might be exaggerating the drama of it in 2023, how how different 
would the anti-Semitic movements be if Israel was successfully able to address the issues that you talk about in your work? To me, a key driver of anti-Semitism is Israeli actions. Doesn't justify it. Absolutely, cousin. It's obvious. After 9-11, there was huge amounts of global anti-American sentiment. Doesn't justify violence against Americans. Of course, it makes sense. A lot of people hated what the US was doing in Iraq and Afghanistan, the war on terror. It made sense. Doesn't justify violence. And today in 2023, undeniably, undeniably, Israeli actions are not the only, but a factor in anti-Semitism around the world. So I'm not, anti-Semitism has been around for millennia, long before Israel, and it'll be there long after Israel doesn't exist, if that ever happens. The fact is, anti-Semitism has been around, but the idea of simply not addressing it, not addressing Israeli actions, not acknowledging that Israeli actions play a part. If you have, and people's TV screens or phones or wherever they get their information, the daily brutality of occupation, Andrew. People know increasingly what is going on. Israel lobbyists can defend it, say it's not happening, it's a myth. The evidence is overwhelming. It's there. People, the pictures don't lie. That is what is leading to a growth, in my view, and many other view, of a growth in anti-Semitism around the world. And it does worry me. I'm Jewish. It worries me. It worries me even if I wasn't Jewish. But I'd say... When you talk about, do we worry about anti-Semitism? Why not worry about anti-Muslim violence, Islamophobia? You don't think that's also bad? That's actually in many places far worse, far worse. We're not worried about that. I'm Jewish and I'm worried about that. Muslims are not my people, so to speak, but I'm just as concerned about that as I am about anti-Semitism. I'm a humanist. That to me is how I should see it. I don't want to be... This is what has damned the Jewish people so much in the last 75 years is this complete tribalism. My people above everybody else. And it's not unique to Jews doing that. Other groups do it too. But it is so detrimental and ugly and counterproductive and stupid. It's led to the situation we're in today. We have an Israeli state proudly oppressing Palestinians and you have these blind little lapdogs around the world standing up and saying, sorry, can I be the next one can, to defend this, please? Really? That's the legacy that Jews want in the 21st century? No, not in my name and not in a lot of people's name increasingly. Excellent, Al. 